Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Ashley. I'm the producer of the Is It Transphobic podcast, and I wanted to do something special today. We haven't done a mini episode in a while. Uh, One of my guests today is a fantastic playwright, uh, performance artist, and now novelist as well. Indeed. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to talk with them for a little bit about what they did, but why don't I let them introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Ray. Uh, should I say my full name? Yeah. Ray Mariah Ann McCarthy. Awesome. So uh, I wanted this to be a little bit free form, a little bit sort of talking about whatever we wanted to talk about. So let's start with a softball question. What is your favorite food? That's not a softball question. <laughs> um, uh, the first thing I thought of was my mom's spaghetti and meatballs. Oh, okay. Why yeah. is it uh, just because it, it reminds you of home? Is it something about it, the way that there's she makes it? There's something about the meatballs, and also there's something about the garlic bread. Ooh. Um, yeah, I think it's extremely mm-hmm. simple, but it like she does it on like um, sausage rolls, mm-hmm. um, and it just it just works so well. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's it was always like what I wanted made like for my birthday when I was a kid and stuff. That's amazing. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got into writing. Why Why are you focusing uh, specifically on writing? Uh, what What is it? Is it something that drew you? Something that said like, oh my gosh, I need to write? Or is it something that's just sort of like, yeah, all right, fell into <laughs> it? <laughs> um, so my dad's a writer. Um, oh. He... Uh, his job when I was a kid uh, was he was a ghost writer and he ran a literary magazine, mm-hmm. um, San Diego Writers Monthly in San Diego, where I'm from. And uh, so my siblings and I, we were all encouraged to write. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us have turned out to be writers in one form or another. Um, my brother writes his own um, like uh, fiction podcast, narrative podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister uh, has a blog. Um, and I'm doing this. Um, and there was a period of time where like my form of rebellion was like, I'm not a writer, I'm a director. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, I realized that, um, being in charge of the room at all times was stressful. And, uh, I realized, oh, I am a writer. Damn it. Okay. (laughs) So this is something I've been doing all my life. Like the, Mm. the 10,000 hours thing. I probably got in like while I was still a kid. So one thing, let's just, while we're here, why don't we move this down? Um, I don't want to necessarily reach across you, but yeah, if we can, yeah, there we go. Yeah. A little bit down and tilt that. that? Yeah. Is this, is this better? Yeah. There we go. We're showing you off a little bit more, but we can still hear you. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Let's not block you. Yeah. So (laughs) that's awesome. Do you remember the first thing that you wrote? 
the very first thing I can remember ever writing, it was just like literally Beauty and the Beast, like, you know, because I had mm-hmm. seen it and I was six or whatever and just... <laughs> I like the way I knew how to write stories was to write down stories that I knew. Um, the first original thing I remember writing, I don't mm-hmm. think it was the first thing, but like the one that's clearest to my mind was this uh, story about aliens. Um, and like, I remember that one of the aliens was called like uh, Zix or something, or like some combination of like uncommon letters. And there's a part where the other alien is like trying to get their name right. And they're like, xyz i mean zyx i mean because they were flustered or like panicked or something um i think i won an award for that question mark i i don't remember what the contest was mm. but like third place or something wow yeah. well congrats thank congrats you congrats on the bronze thank That's, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know they've um i mm-hmm. this might be uh not true but i'm going to just assume it's true um uh, when it comes to Olympic medal winners, um, mm-hmm. bronze winners come away much happier than silver winners. Really? Yeah, because bronze bronzes are like, oh my god, I placed, and silvers are like, I didn't get the gold. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, <laughs> I I actually was the lucky one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, one of the things that you put out recently, uh, I just heard it. It was on, uh, I think it's Girl Tales podcast. Yes. Uh, the yeah. the sort of your adaptation of Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Um, I've had the idea for years um, to do a transgender retelling of Pinocchio. Because, I mean, it, it writes itself. Pinocchio wants to be a real boy. It writes itself. Um, and... Um, so Rebecca Cunningham, who produces Girl Tales, um, she knew of my work and I had been like a Kickstarter backer of the podcast. I know other playwrights have written for it. And she approached me and she said, is there a fairy tale that you've been looking to adapt? And I was like, has anyone done Pinocchio yet? I have had this idea. And she was like, oh my God, no one's done that. Um, so it like... It was tricky because, like, in the end, the the blue fairy comes along, like, in the original story, mm. the blue fairy comes along and says, because you have been good, I will now make you a real boy. Mm. And that was not the message that I wanted to send, mm. that, like, you have to be a certain amount of good to, like, deserve, like, the transition you desire or whatever. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of, like, banging my head against the wall, figuring out, like, what's what's the way that we, like honor the original while still making this like the 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 story that I want little kids to be hearing mm. now so well and I really like the the whole blue fairy because a lot of the blue fairy coming in was like hey I'm not here to solve your problems yeah like, was, oh, there was there was one line like no that's a genie yeah like like, yeah. like Pinocchio <laughs> says I wish for this and the fairy's like that's nice mm-hmm. Pinocchio's like are you gonna grant my wish and the fairy's like who said anything about granting wishes yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking of genies it's like oh that's nice thank you yeah. for verbalizing your wish but yeah <laughs> what do you want me to do with that right right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah I was I was really pleased with how that came out like mm-hmm. the the production that they do on that, like how they create whole like uh, audio worlds um, on that podcast is, is really amazing. Um, and Lexi Bean, who plays Pinocchio, uh, I, I just love their work so much. Awesome. Uh, so tell me a little bit about Squad. 
Because Squad came out uh, about a month and a half ago? Yeah, yeah, March 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, but who's counting? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Squad is my uh, first novel. Uh, it's a young adult novel about a cheerleader who... Um, be so her best friend falls out of love with her and our protagonist jenna starts like spiraling and self-sabotaging until it gets so bad she has to quit the squad and then she starts larping and hanging out with her goth brother and his friends and um like falls for this uh trans guy this friend of her brother's um dates him for a little bit uh i'm not going to spoil what happens there but uh in the end she does go back to cheerleading and realizes oh i can be all these things like they're not mutually exclusive i can be a larper and a cheerleader Hmm. um yeah so that's that's squad (laughs) (laughs) i because i i did a a little bit of work on it as well i I was able to read it before it came out and Mm -hmm. it was like i I really loved it but specifically because i used to larp and so it was something that I was like, oh, my God, wait, 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 wait. Yes, please, please. And I loved your portrayal, particularly because it's a specific type of LARP. It's a Vampire the Masquerade yes. LARP. Yes, which is what I did in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I would love to hear more about that if you were willing to share about your time being a Vampire the Masquerade LARPer. Like, what yeah. you, was there was there a story that you were a part of that you were LARPing that you really, like, sticks with you? Because I uh-huh. feel like every LARPer has at least, like, one or two that they're like, oh, my God, I remember <laughs> <laughs> it felt so good. Like what? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you remember most fondly about Vampire the Masquerade LARP? Oh, absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, I I never really one hundred percent got the hang of it. I always kind of felt like a, a rookie there because um, there's there's a lot of rules. Um, but uh, and I also like there would be these like large like group rumbles, and I was like, can I just be over here with my like softcore vampire smut storylines and (laughs) (laughs) um just doing my own thing so i had two different characters that i larped with um who like because i was 15 or whatever i was um and like not uh the media i had been exposed to one was very like uh, manic pixie dream girl and the other one was very femme fatale um, but I, I have a great deal of affection for them both um, Rose uh, was a Malkavian if you know Vampire the Masquerade uh, you know that like Mal- Malkavians are the ones who they're all nuts in some way um, they all have like some form of madness um, and so she was uh, she was also a, a teenager and um, she had like cracked after her best friend died. Um, and, uh, been like, of course, like taken in by this like benevolent older vampire gentleman played by this dude I totally had a crush on. And, <laughs> um, and so like, I went and like stayed with him and he got turned by him, etc. Um, and the other one, um, Fiona, uh she was a toreador uh the toreadors are the artistic ones um and her art form was uh she was a serial killer but she would never kill two people the same way twice um so she was always coming up with like new interesting ways to kill people so like one of them she carved like a full 88 key keyboard into his body and then played beethoven's fifth (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so I, yeah, I had I had a great deal of, of fun with <laughs> these people. <laughs> I remember I can't remember her name, but I I played a bruja. Uh-huh. And I always had fun with that. Uh, that was before the uh, like this was like wait because I know that they they re-released the the whole book and the whole mm-hmm. book was like co-opted by a bunch of white supremacists. Yeah, unfortunately, and that's, yeah, yeah. It's it's some bullshit. It's um, so sad. They White Wolf has been walking back from that and trying very hard to uh, uh, fix that, but right. at the same time, like yep, like this was when the Bruja were just like the punks and they were just the the yeah. aggressive like yeah what what. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The anarchists. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, and just like the the looks that people would turn at this, like mm. it was just it was just pleather and crushed velvet for days. Mm. Um, just like so many corsets and lace up boots, so much eyeliner. Um, <laughs> yeah, aesthetically quite quite a delight. <laughs> very awesome so like where where would you game would this be in like a like in my head it was like a, like in my, where i used to game was in a friend's house at the in their basement they had a large basement mm-hmm. uh for you where was it was this in like a rec center was this in like a space that somebody rented so this was um the same as in the book this was on the sdsu campus in san diego oh okay so we like mm-hmm. um we would just be like, and it would be, you know, late on a Friday, but it's, mm-hmm. it's San Diego, so it doesn't get cold. And, mm. um, so we would just, there was just all this like open space cause it's, uh, mm. Friday night. And this was the like academic buildings area, not the dormy area, I guess. Um, and so we could just like romp around. <laughs> Very awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, another Thing that I know is a part of your life is that you are a and correct me if I'm using the wrong term you're a life coach I am that is yeah. exactly the right term awesome can yeah. you tell me a little bit about both how you got into that as well as like what's involved in being a life coach totally yeah um so life coaching is a fancy term for um helping people achieve their goals basically mm. um and I first had the thought to become a life goal life coach in like 2013 Mm. um and i was kind of like that's silly that's not a thing um and so i like ignored it for several years um and but i when i quit my uh day job as an executive assistant in 2016 um and i the goal was to be writing full-time and for that to be the way i made my living and so i was also like teaching playwriting classes and i would notice like that sometimes it would just turn into like advice hour or um like there would be things that i would be coaching people on that had nothing to do with writing and it felt really good and natural and fun and right Mm. um and like ways in which I was mentoring people in a way that was more than just like as a writer um and so I was uh taking this like online business course and you began with this thing where it was like if you've got a lot of different ideas business ideas like do this first to help you like focus on the right one on this course and I was like I had like 20 ideas 
um, I was like, I'm going to start two podcasts and I'm going to like <laughs> write this thing and do, and et cetera. And so I was like, all right, I'll like do this part, but I don't think that they're really going to be able to help me narrow it down. Mm. And so one of the things was life coach. And when I like looked at, you know, everything from like economic viability to like what, what does your life look like when you're actually doing this thing, et cetera. Um, it like, it just was like the clear front runner. And I was like, but this is the thing that I have like the least training in of all the things on this list. Um, but I guess we're doing this. Uh, so I, um, I sought out some like online training courses, um, and just started just like, I, I like, there's a, a lot of different courses that I've taken, not all of which are technically coaching courses, but like, um, Brene Brown has, uh, some really amazing courses online or, um, uh, I'm blanking on her name. Um, the four tendencies, Gretchen Rubin, um, stuff like that. Um, and I just like kept learning more and more, um, and branching out more. And like, that's how I make my living now. Very awesome. Yeah. Is there anything if someone is going to like interested in booking a life coach or uh, approaching you about becoming a life coach for them? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that they should consider ahead of time? Like what are some things that maybe people should know just going into something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a life coach is not a good professional to seek at the worst moment. Mm. Um, like I, maybe a useful metaphor is you need to be able to tread water before I can help you swim. Mm. Um, so don't, don't pro like if everything is falling apart and you're like just barely keeping it together, I can like help with that. Mm. Um, but like the, the change is going to be like really incremental. Um, so I think that sometimes, uh, people are like, well, I haven't had good experiences with therapy, so let's try this. And I sort of feel like maybe you should like find a better therapist, um, in, in some cases. Um, but I think that if you, sometimes the goal is just to figure out what your goals are. If someone's like, well, this shit doesn't feel good, um, but I'm not sure where to go from here. That is something we can work with. Um, and like sometimes things explode like while I'm in the middle of a series with someone and it is useful to have um, that accountability for like, okay, so like how do you just make sure you get enough sleep while this is going on? How do you make sure that you're going to feed yourself while this is going on? Like it can be useful to, to have that, um, but I think that there are, maybe other more useful ways to like shore up um, covering your bases before you hire someone for that mm. for, for coaching. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, and this is just jumping onto a completely different thing. <laughs> you and I were both in Edinburgh at the same time. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this was before you and I met. Okay. And, like, Cause I remember you're, cause I remember hearing about you from our mutual friend, Gina, Gina Femia. Oh my God. My like favorite playwright of all time. Um, yeah. and she was saying, Hey, you gotta go see, um, you gotta go see my friend's show. 
and I'm really kicking myself for not <laughs> because like we hadn't met at the time. So I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. Like we're right. like, I was there on my honeymoon. Oh. And so we saw a whole bunch of theater, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about your experience in Edinburgh, uh, both how it was to perform out there uh, as well as like, if you want to talk about the piece that you performed, cause I know mm-hmm. it was a very personal piece mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of like what brought you out to Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, totally understand that because like Edinburgh is really overwhelming. There's so much it's you don't know until you're there. Sensory overload yeah. and you're just like, like oh the, 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 like there's so much mm-hmm. you can see. You're never going to see all the things that mm-hmm. you could see. Um, so I have been, uh, I, I started doing this solo show in 2014. Um, the last time I did it was about a year ago. Um, it's called Baby Mama, and it's about uh, it's my true experience of becoming the uh, birth mother to a kid that I placed for adoption with a gay couple. Um, so the it's my solo show. It's a storytelling show, basically from conception to placement, um, and it's yeah, it's it's an intense thing to do, and I um, I'm I don't usually perform like I don't really seek it out most of the time um since doing baby mama some people have um approached me to perform in things and that's exciting but I haven't been like I have not auditioned since college Mm. um like someone asked me for a like performer headshot once and I was like ah uh, <laughs> here's a selfie it's a good <laughs> <Right>. one yeah, yeah. <laughs> um like I have headshots but they're all digital because mm. I'm like why would I need a physical headshot mm. um <laughs> so uh yeah it like and so to not only be performing and like be responsible for the entirety of the audience's attention for 70 minutes but also uh to be telling the story of like some of the hardest moments of my life uh it's an it's an intense thing to do um so that's kind of why I'm not doing it as much now um I mean it it's like it's also amazing you know um people would I was vulnerable so people would be vulnerable with me and uh say things like you know I would talk to adoptees or um dads who had lost custody of their kids in divorce that was like a surprising demographic that I connected with Mm. um yeah it was like because when I was pregnant I did not have a lot of um role models for how things might look Mm. either way because if I um if I was going to raise the kid and be a a single parent in New York City who does theater. I didn't know anyone of, of whom that was true. I I don't know any single parents in New York City. Mm. Um I I know some divorced parents, but like there's still a like shared custody situation. Yeah. Um and I uh so I had no idea what that could look like, but I didn't know what it would look like to choose adoption. Um and I think that adoption in the media is mostly focused on the uh adoptive parents Mm. and it's like oh well it could have been a bad situation but like look at this happy family Mm. and ignoring that someone had to have their heart broken for that kid to be with that family Mm. um or die 
Um, but I think that it's really, really important that we hear birth parent stories mm. um, because like they they're between a rock and a hard place. They're not choosing it because they've always wanted to. They're um, they're probably in economic dire straits. Mm. Um, and I think that we need to talk about that more and think about that more. So that was part of why I decided to tell my own story uh, and to perform and like get on stage because I felt like it was, that was like the most effective experience I could give the audience was like, here, now you've seen someone this happened to. And now in Edinburgh, Scotland, where you have people from all over the world coming to this one place mm -hmm. at this one time, mm -hmm. uh, did people, did it seem to resonate with a lot of people rather... What I'm trying to actually ask is sort of, did you find that that audience, you found that that audience had uh, similar or different experiences that you were able to pull from them? Or was it just a completely, like, basically what was your experience with the audiences out yeah. in Edinburgh hearing the story? Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say I met a lot of Americans in Edinburgh. <laughs> 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 um, uh, like my... Uh, at my venue I was like oh we know mutual people in New York we're both from New York we haven't met in New York we're meeting here <laughs> so you met a lot of New Yorkers yeah. in Edinburgh Scotland yeah um but in terms of like how it landed on an international audience um you know I think because the the adoption laws and situations vary from country to country but the um the emotion is something that anyone can relate to. I think people coming from Ireland had a very specific experience of it because mm. um, this was before repeal the eighth um, and uh, abortion being illegal in Ireland. And um, I'm, I'm upfront in my piece that I'm pro-choice. Mm. Um, I do not think that my experience should be the default if you're not in a position to parent. I like my experience was so painful and hard. Like that should be an opt in um, not a, not a default setting. Um, and, and so people like watching it with that context, I think they were like bringing this experience of what's going on in their country. And, um, the, the fact that like we, that women in the, in those, in, in Ireland didn't have the autonomy that I did in my situation. Mm. Um, but I didn't I didn't feel like there was any disconnect uh, because of the international setting. Mm. Very cool. Very awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so especially not to necessarily uh, bring things to a down note, but you know, there's a <laughs> lot going on right now in this country yeah. uh, involving a, a lot of these shitty laws. Yeah. Um, what are you doing these days as sort of self-care? Um, mm. I know that that, may seem like a, a different like a like almost like changing the subject but really kind of on that subject it can be a lot to sort of take in so mm -hmm. what are you doing as acts of self-care a lot um a lot of not being on social media mm. um because the Im the important news it, it's going to be in my inbox anyway mm. um i'm not actually a better or more effective citizen being on social media i'm a less effective citizen mm. um i'm i have like a a chart on my wall of stuff that I try to do every day. Like, you know, how many 
servings of vegetables I have, um, how much water I drink, um, moving my body, meditating, um, getting outdoors, sing something, anything like just walking down the street or in the shower. Um, but like if I don't have a chart on my wall or like an app on my phone or some way that I'm holding myself accountable, um, I'm, I'm really rebellious and I'll just be like ice cream and nothing else <laughs> forever. Mm. <laughs> um, I, just, I just had my wisdom teeth out uh, a oh, week ago. Well, a week ooh. ago. So just is relative. Still. But yeah. So I'm impressed you're doing thinking, this right yeah. now. So it was ice cream forever for quite a bit. So, that That yeah. is self-care. That yep. is self-care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. And ice cream has mm-hmm. its place. We love mm-hmm. ice cream. Um, but uh, there is there is a there's a, a limit to the goodness that ice cream can accomplish. Mm. Um, and there's, and there is a downside to the ice cream. Um, so, uh, yeah, just really trying to hold myself accountable and like, you know, it's nice to like check things off. And if I only get like most of the things and not all the things in a given day, that's okay. Mm. Um, but like by, shooting to do all these things if i do most of them then that's that's a lot of care Mm. um and therapy and outdoors (laughs) very awesome yeah so my last question before we go because we got to reset i want to give you like a couple of minutes to kind of chill before silas gets in and we talk about a series of unfortunate events yes um which i'm really excited to talk about i wanted to talk about for a while uh but is there a question you wish more people would ask you? Because I know that you go on interviews with things every now and again as well. Mm-hmm. Are there questions you wish interviewers would ask you? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love this question. I know it does my job for me, so I love it as well. <laughs> um, I... Um... Yeah, it's it's hard it's so, hard yeah. it's hard to not go to the opposite like mm. you know questions I'm sick of getting yeah. are, like as a as a birth parent I get like oh so you were a surrogate a lot I'm like no surrogates yeah. get paid yeah. um <laughs> uh I wish um more I don't know if I actually want to be asked this but I'm just gonna say it like like so. <laughs> so so is your life turning out the way you want it to? Oh, like <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. um are are you are you is 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 this going well for you? Mm. Um <laughs> And I don't know how I would answer that right mm. now. Um I'm moving to LA in September. Mm. Um that is where my kiddo lives. It's an open adoption. Um so I want to be closer to him and I'm also going to make a go of writing for TV. Mm. And in the meantime, I'm in this sort of like uh, limbo, this sort of um, uh, what's the name of when it's like, um, oh, um, uh, uh, you're in movement, you're in between. Oh, I know what you're talking you know about. What I, yeah, that yeah. word. It's like whatever um, not stasis is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. Um, <laughs> that thing i'm in that thing right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) um 
And so sometimes it sort of feels like I'm just spinning my wheels, but I'm like, mm. yeah, you're about to make a major life change. Mm. You don't need to be doing all the things right now. I've spent a very significant portion of my life doing all the things. Mm. Um, and I'm 32 and I'm realizing I don't have the constitution for that anymore. Mm. Um, so I, but I, th I think things are going okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, thank you so much for joining me and yeah, uh, allowing me to interview me. you. This was fantastic. Uh, so we're going to end this right now. If you tune in, uh, get ready because we're going to talk about a series of unfortunate events. Uh, and that's going to be amazing. This is going to be accessible only to Patreon subscribers for a month and then we'll release it publicly. Um, but yeah, so if you're watching this, you'll have 24 hours to watch it before it goes, before it's gone. Then you'll have to just give us at least a dollar a month on Patreon, I guess. Yeah, sorry. All right, let's do something <laughs> physical for the camera so that people are getting their worth out of the videos. I always go for some sort of yeah. Muppet flail. I gotta yeah. vary it up. I gotta, I gotta do something different. Yeah, okay. you can see my cat hair. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. At least, at least a dollar a month, and you too can see Ray Mariah's pit <laughs> <laughs> hair. It's gonna get somebody. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Their novel, Squad, published by Macmillan, is now out wherever books are sold, digitally as well as in person. Uh, I can't emphasize enough, try and visit brick-and-mortar uh, stores, uh, brick stores. Uh, but the podcast that they mention is Girls' Tales, and you should absolutely subscribe. They're available anywhere that you can listen to Is It Transphobic? And you can also go to girltalespodcast.com. Uh, and you can hear their tale, the one that they mentioned about Pinocchio, live in New York City, Sunday, June 23rd at 11 a.m. at Books Are Magic. That's at 225 Smith Street in Brooklyn. The best part is that this will be a show for all ages, and it is free. I've just been told that Scowl is coming back to New York City. That's right, Scowl, heavyweight champion, April Rain. Wow, doesn't she sound amazing? We'll be defending her championship in an open challenge. Now, you never know who might show up to accept this challenge. Could the Edison Destructor robot make an appearance? Who knows? Uh, maybe standout of Scowl Fight for Your Rights, Kyle Oren? Ooh, that's Space Wizard. Or, coming off their big win from Steampunk Symposium in Cincinnati, could we see London Jack take up the challenge? Ooh, that posh werewolf. You'll have to show up and find out, as both these events are part of Worldwide Pride celebrating 50-year anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Now, there are two chances to see this one. The first is June 19th at the Crane Theater for the Paper Crane event, which you can get tickets at Paper Crane. That's Crane with a K and an E at the end, dot com. $10 at the door. But if you get them now, that's right, they're only $8. So order them now. The other one is free. That's right, it's part of the Pride Plays Theater Festival at the Rattlestick. And it's going to be happening on Monday, June 24th at noon. And it's part of the Trans Lab collection of plays, collection of new works. You can get the ticket link to this one, as well as the Paper Crane Show, at the Scowl website. That's scowlfight.com. So remember, June 19th at the Crane and June 24th at the Rattlestick. Scowlfight.com.
Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.